Hey everyone, a uh, quick note about this week's episode. We just wanted to give you a heads up that there is a scene in this film that deals with suicide. We discussed that scene in this episode, so just wanted to give people a warning that if that is some, not something you want to hear about, that we wanted to make you aware. Yeah, the scene in the movie is graphic and jarring, and we do discuss it in great detail, so uh, that is a good heads up. Uh, thanks for listening. Where are you going? It's turkey time. Huh? Gobble, gobble. What? Now you talk the talk. You know I'm expecting you to walk the walk. Come on. Show me what I've been missing my whole life. Lay some of that sweet heterolingus on me. Nice computer. Is suckmydick.com. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm the Sultan of Slick. <laughs> and this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And good gravy, do we have an uphill battle this week? Yeah, you know, sometimes we're really uh, picking low-hanging fruit, but this time we picked an obscure film from Ben Affleck's catalog that is not really... People might not know this, but... Yeah, I don't think people are too aware of it. But apparently, if you really dig deep, this is a movie that did not do well. No, this is a... Uh... It made a few people angry, this movie. Yeah, so it is Geely as we continue Ben Affleck rom-com month. And that's Geely rhymes with really. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is one of the most famously maligned movies in the history of cinema. Yeah, infamous just flop. This was, to, to put you back in time... Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez uh, started dating each other. They uh, became uh, the famous portmanteau couple, uh, Ben Lowe, that we all remember. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, How can we forget Gengemen? <laughs> yeah, this is, they were Gengemen. Uh, <laughs> Gengemen Lofleck. <laughs> Yeah, that's, it's not really much of a portmanteau. Like, I don't understand how we thought we were shortening it, but, uh, but yes, yeah, so, so they started dating. They, it was a big, uh, tabloid story. Everybody, they were like the it couple in the tabloids for their torrid affair. And they were making this movie and, you know, this was kind of, even before this came out, their relationship very much overshadowed the film. Yes. And then the film came out, and it was bad, and then everyone, you know, I think it's fair to say that the the attention surrounding them brought more attention to this film. I think it always would have flopped, but I think it flopped so spectacularly because of... It would have gone unnoticed had there not been the tabloid hoopla around it. Yeah, it would have been a quiet flop versus a high-profile flop because of the you know, extenuating circumstances surrounding this film. Yeah. Um. And it is an interesting thing 
I and I'm gonna assume this is true for you. I had never seen this movie before. I feel like no, most is, I had I had known about it. It is it this movie is part of the zeitgeist of the early aughts. Yeah. For it, sure. It's definitely just like known to be an infamously bad film, but I would wonder how many people actually have seen it. Now you and I. Yes. Um, but um but and for it's interesting too, because a lot of those some of those like notorious failures disappear from streaming services. Yes. But this is out there. It is, yeah. HBO Max. That's where we yeah. that's where we watched it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And I will say too, what I thought you might have been teeing up, what I thought you were gonna say is like sometimes, you know, those like infamous flops, you watch them and you're like, you know, and this is kind of the point of the show. You watch it and you go, you know, I, I think that this is kind of unfair. You know, like I, I think that people were waiting to dunk on this and it doesn't really deserve it's it's not it's fine you know whatever but i I would and i would make the argument that a movie we could have done this month but aren't doing jersey girl suffered from that effect right yeah so sometimes it does happen where it's just people like to pile on and and we've definitely in the past done films where it's like they're sort of known to be bad and then we've dug into them and are like, you know what? This is actually, there's some good stuff here. Or like we enjoy parts of it. And I was really, to be honest, because I was I, really hoping this would fall into that category. I really was because I don't really like, you know, I think kind of the, the spirit of the show, the reason that we do it, I don't really want to dunk on something for being bad. That's not, I don't enjoy that. You know, I want, like we are sincerely trying to find silver linings, but I'm going to say it, man, this movie makes it hard. <laughs> This, uh, we were talking right before we hit record uh, for this week, and I think this might be the second worst movie that we've watched to Caddyshack 2. Yeah, Caddyshack 2 is still the floor. And yes. I, I, it's the basement, it's the sub basement, it's the uh, secret layer underneath the sub basement. And I dread the day we watch something worse, which I'm going to assume is out there, but I, <sighs> I hope we never find it. Good, goodness gracious, I hope not. Um, but this... And still, this is a lot better than Caddyshack 2. It's way more watchable than Caddyshack 2, because that's part of the problem with Caddyshack 2 is it's just a drag from yeah. start to finish. This movie is... I mean, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll get into it a bit more. It's not good, and it's not... No. It's not an enjoyable story, but it's... It's made by a good filmmaker, so it's like... And it has good performers. Yeah, it's paced. <laughs> you know, it's a two-hour movie, which I also... It does not need to be a two-hour movie, but even at two hours, like, it didn't feel like it dragged. It just felt not good. <laughs> yeah. It, and, well, I mean, we need to... This movie bears dunking on. Um, but I think there are some genuine silver linings to this, and... Um, that I don't feel are the reaches that we had to do for Caddyshack 2. No, no, no. I think there are sincere. But let's, you know, because I'm going to assume that a lot of you listening right now clicked on it because you saw that we're doing Geely, but you have not actually seen Geely. So perhaps more than even we normally do, I think we should set this up. So everybody, I think, just knows it's the movie with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. But here is the film, at least as I understand it. And feel free to correct me because I might be wrong. But... Uh, ben Affleck plays some sort of low, low tier gangster or like gangster, gangster adjacent character. He's like sort of a fixer or a, a heavy for some bad people. 
Is that even fair? I don't even, I feel like I'm already in the weeds okay, trying so, to describe what it is. Yeah. I, I'm going to read the first paragraph of the plot summary from Wikipedia because I think it actually does the job. Okay. Larry Gili is a low-ranking Los Angeles mobster who is not nearly as tough as he likes to act. Lewis, a high-ranking member of Gili's organization, commands him to kidnap the mentally challenged younger brother of a powerful federal prosecutor to use as a bargaining chip to save him, to save New York-based mob boss Starkman from prison. Right. So the mob boss is going to go to prison... A sort of made guy comes to Geely and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kidnap this guy's brother uh, in order. The prosecutor's brother. And blackmail him. And blackmail him so that he'll drop the charges against our boss. And also, I'm asking you to do this, but I don't trust you to do this. So I'm also hiring this woman whose name we don't know for some reason, which is a big mystery throughout the film. As to she what, goes by Ricky. She goes by Ricky, but it's clear that that's not a real name and we, we don't get to know her real name and then we find out her real name, but it's pointless and I already forgot what it is because it doesn't it's matter. It's Rochelle. There you go. Because she made a long journey from Milan to Minsk. Uh, Rochelle, Rochelle. But uh, yeah, so it's Rochelle. But anyway, she, he, so he's hired, Geely's hired to kidnap this guy, but also... She's hired as a redundancy to, like, make sure that he she's does sort of it. like a, a fixer, maybe, I guess, possibly. But I think Ben Affleck's a fixer. She's a fixer's fixer. Like, she's she, she fixes, fixes the, the fixer. As the old saying goes, who fixes the fixers? Yes. Yeah, J-Lo exactly. fixes the fixers. Yeah. So she shows up to sort of just make sure. Look, we all know that Geely, he's a he's a marshmallow at heart. So he's going to kidnap this kid and he's going to. He's going to end up caring about him. So I, Rochelle uh, or Ricky, as I'm sometimes known, um, I'm I'm here to make sure that you do it. So so that's the plot. And then I guess I don't even know that they fall in love as also she's a lesbian also. But then they they have sex, the two of them. And um, which you should have known from the scene we played at the top. That was the sex scene. That was the. This may be getting ahead of ourselves with the (laughs) silver lining. But there were, I would say, no fewer than eight clips that could have been chosen as our preamble clip. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was for sure one of them. Uh, And so the excitement I had for what you picked to be the uh, opening opening soundbite was was. I was waiting with bated breath because uh, I really thought it was going to be Ben Affleck's monologue about how awesome he was. Not the penis one, but the one before that, where he refers to himself as the Sultan of Slick, the rule of cool. Yeah. Uh, he basically cuts a superstar Billy Graham, Dusty Rhodes promo. He's like, I'm the Sultan of Slick, if you will, baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, and I mean, there, you, you seem to think there were a lot of options and maybe they were. But in my heart, there was one only one option, because when... Jennifer Lopez, laying in bed, seductively looked at Ben Affleck and said, it's turkey time. I knew that that was the only I had actually written. That's a funny thing. I kind of make notes as I'm going through. And so I'll like note the timestamps. But when that happened, I threw everything else out because I was like, nope, it's this, obviously. Yeah, there is. Like I said. That was the clear choice. Yeah. But his Sultan of Slick oh, no, monologue. Yes, there are some. There's pre- a couple of others that are just gold. Um, not to give away one of the cameos, but Al Pacino scene could have been picked. 
Yeah, Al Pacino. I mean, I guess we'll just say since you mentioned it, he plays the the guy. What is it? Starkman? Is it Starkman? Yeah. Yeah, he plays Starkman, the 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 mob boss that's mob under boss. Yeah. investigation. Yes, because uh, this film, the reason they were probably able to get Al Pacino is it's directed by Martin Brest, who directed Scent of a Woman. Yes, who gave Al Pacino his his lone acting Oscar. Right. So for playing Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Uh, so the guy who got Al Pacino an Oscar called him up and said, I have a part for you in my new movie. And I'm sure Al was very excited. Probably not for long, but at least initially. Yeah. Uh, and that is just one of a many of a litany of scenes that have no connective tissue and make no sense in this movie. Right. That's the thing. We described the plot, but then it's way more meandering than you would think, because also so they they kidnap this brother. And we'll talk about him in a second. And I'm kind of delaying it because I don't really want to get into it. But we will talk I, about I don't, him. Yeah, we're going to. We have to. But I don't want to. But they kidnap him and then basically are just the three of them staying in Ben Affleck or in Geely's apartment for most of the film. They're just hanging out in the apartment. One I, of the IMDb trivia points actually clocks it. And it's 52 minutes of the two hour runtime are spent in Geely's apartment. Right. And, and it's sort of. It's weird because it's like for a long time, it's just, yeah, just hold on to this guy. We, it, the assumption is that someone else, I guess, is threatening the prosecutor. We, you're just holding on to this guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and this like this movie almost feels like a really bad play. And I mean that in the most pejorative sense possible. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Um, Because it's limited sets, limited locations. Well, that's what's uh, funny is I because I, I was reading a little bit about this movie and like they talk. I don't know if you have it in front of you. I don't I didn't write it down, but like they talk about the budget and how much this movie lost. And I realized that you're like paying the actors. But where did the rest of the money go? Well, they paid J-Lo and Ben. Almost half the budget was their salaries. Right. But that's what I'm saying is like you paid them a lot of money to be in this. But then it's it's essentially like, I mean, it, they couldn't have spent money on anything else. There's no no money went into the actual filmmaking or locations or any of that. No, there's no like elaborate set pieces. There's no for a, mo for a movie that has very much mob ties. There's almost no violence. Except one very violent scene. <laughs> Except for one very violent which scene. Which is the Al Pacino scene. One very descriptively non-violent scene. Yes. But yeah, but most of the movie is just these three characters spending time together for whatever reason. And and yeah, I, apparently they fall, you know, they at least fall for each other. And they both tend to, like, the longer they spend with this brother, the more they care about him and the more they want him to be okay. Uh, also... Jennifer Lopez's character's girlfriend shows up. This effing scene. What the what is that? What movie is this scene from? Yeah. So so this character shows up somehow figures out where they are and shows up there immediately assumes that Jennifer Lopez is there to because she's cheating on her or like has left her for this dude has left her for this dude. So she first. Well, first she's angry, then she offers to have a threesome, then she walks into the kitchen, grabs a knife, and slits both of her wrists. In, in what seems to be, I guess, like a, like, I don't, I'm not even gonna, but it's like, just in front of and everybody. Like graphically, so uh, two violent scenes, yes. arguably, because like, this, like, she 
takes a sharp, you know, kitchen knife, not like, you know, a regular table knife, cuts her wrists open, blood, has to take her to the hospital, which leads to another banana scene where they where he uses some like takeout cutlery to cut someone's thumb off because yeah, Lewis told them to cut off Paul's thumb to deliver it to send it as a message. Paul's when the they brother. Really, when they really should have Paul's the brother. Yeah. When they really should have just talked to Walter Sobchak because uh, if you want a toe, he can get you a toe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, could spend a lot of time talking about this finger plot line because, but yeah. So. But also, it's it's very weird because this this thing happens. It's a very upsetting thing. Like you said, it feels like it's from a different movie. This character shows up. Uh, it was funny. I was watching it with Molly, and she kind of felt like pointed out like it kind of feels like the girlfriend has like borderline personality or something. Like it's just like yes, it's a very like jarring scene. That's a very strong choice. And then it's just we never see that character again. She's never mentioned again. And in fact, and there's literally no fallout related to the movie from then on out. Yeah, she's just gone. And in fact, like, it's weird because, like, there's we see Ben Affleck and the, the brother, Paul, like they're, they're in this car and they're watching them from a distance. And then, like, I think we're supposed to somehow infer that he's even loving J-Lo even more because she's being I, I don't even it was weird. The whole thing was very bizarre. I don't know why that scene and it comes existed. so far out of nowhere. And. Like, I've never witnessed someone attempt suicide, but I have a feeling that it would affect me deeply psychologically. Right. Yeah. No, it, that would be probably the most horrible thing you ever saw in your life if you were there. It would that, be on the list for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, And I don't care how much of a tough guy who lives in L.A. but has the thickest bad New York accent. Yeah, I. it's. It's strange. Um, yeah, it's it's just that's one of three totally out of nowhere um, cameos that sort of happen because at another point, Christopher Walken showed up on set and they just let the cameras roll. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Why don't you like literally? Yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you describe that scene with Christopher Walken? He walk. He knocks on the door. Mm -hmm. They send Paul to the bedroom. He opens the door. Christopher Walken um, intimates that he knows what's going on, leaves and nothing comes of it. Yeah. It's like, I, I know that someone might have kidnapped a brother and, well, I know you're too smart to do that, Gili. So keep your brain. Keep it smart. And then that's it. Yeah. And I'm thank by the way, thank you to Christopher Walken for coming into the room. <laughs> And yeah, he, re he redoing that quick audio for, bite for us. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so he shows up. a lot of stuff. That's all. That's kind of the thing with this movie. A lot of things just happen and then are never mentioned again. And like for someone that's kidnapping someone and trying to keep kidnapping someone that's maybe not high profile, but like is connected to high profile t people. They sure bandy him about town quite a bit. They take him to like well, a fast food stand. They take him to his mom's house. Right, and that's the other thing, too. So this is a mob boss is going to trial, and the prosecutor, like the DA, is, you know, going to have this high... This would be a high-profile thing. And then his brother is kidnapped. It's not on the news. Like, there isn't any manhunt. And even if it's like, you know, maybe the prosecutor doesn't want it out that it's a kidnapping, there's no, like, Amber Alert. There is no, no indication... There's no, like, scene where the prosecutor who is not in the movie... 
Yeah, we never uh, see the does, like, the news broadcast, like, just give Paul back, and he'll be fine. None right. of it. Well, then there's also a question, you know, I guess maybe we have to talk about Paul now. I still don't want to. But the other thing is, like, I would wonder if I were the lawyer of Geely, and thankfully I'm not. I don't even know that it is a kidnapping, because he shows up at Paul's place, like, kind of is like, hey, do you want to come with me? Paul does. It doesn't, there's no point that he restrains Paul. There's no point that he ties him up. Paul is just hanging out. Other than saying he can't take him home yet. Yeah. Like, he's lying to him, but, like, there's never a point where Paul even says, I want to leave, and he says, you can't. He just, you know, wants to do other stuff, and then Geely's like, nah, stay here, and he's like, okay. Yeah. Um, And then he reads uh, food labels to him, because he doesn't own any books. Yeah, also, I think there's like a toilet paper, like a Charmin, Charmin toilet paper package. He just reads packages of things to him. Yeah, okay, so Paul. Let's talk about Paul. Uh, friend of the show, Justin Bartha. Justin Bartha, look, so <laughs> it was actually, it was very sad because Justin Bartha, if you've listened to the show, he shows up a lot for whatever reason. Uh, he's in a lot he of He showed movies. up like without, he's shown up like. I would say maybe second to Kelsey Grammer as just appearing without intending to make him one of the focuses. Yeah, he showed up in Failure to Launch. He showed up in the National Treasure, like, Book of Secrets when we did that. Like, he he's just in movies that we happen to do. And so, I, so again, this was another case. I didn't know he was in it. I texted Andy. Oh, Justin Bartha. And Andy was ahead of me in watching it. You had already started it. And so you were like... Has he shown up yet? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I just saw his name in the credits. And then you were very excited. Like you were, I don't even know if excited is the right word, but you were very uh, interested in when I saw him show up. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to go on the record that I think that Justin Bartha is a good actor. Yeah, I think, I, I think if you I've listen- enjoyed him. Yeah, and everything I've seen him in. I saw him on Broadway uh, and he was very good when I saw him on Broadway. Um, he's good. Yeah. And that was my thing. Like, I was excited to see his name. I thought, here's a guy that's come up on the show before. We usually like him in the movies that we see. It, this is going to be another like, maybe he's going to be a silver lining, you know, and no. So this character, this brother of the D.A. is. I guess supposed to be autistic and that's generous. I would would say he's, I mean, I would say he's probably portraying someone on the autism spectrum. I think that's what they're going for. But like, it seems like they, someone, either the screenwriter or Justin Bartha or someone watched Rain Man and was like, I don't know, just do a, an impression of that. It, it, but not a good one. But not a good one. Just a. We don't want it to be exactly like that. So do a half-hearted impression like, of Rain Man. I would argue that the single worst performance that we've watched in this entire show is Dan Aykroyd and Caddyshack too. Still the floor and Dan Aykroyd. I don't know what he was playing in that movie, but it's very bad. Um, this is near that level of bad. It's yeah. Well, and it's. And this is, I think, more offensive. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Like, Dan Aykroyd is, it's just a bad choice. I don't know why he's doing it. 
This is literally, yeah, it's in a like an offensive choice. It it feels like it's making fun of autistic people, like, and, and that that's bad. Because yeah, because he, um, Justin Bartha's character is met, uh, basically at a community center for people with special needs, um, you know, like an ARC, something like that, and the extras are all people with special needs. Yeah, which I'm not sure why they bothered. And that. I think that makes it even more offensive. I think it does. Yeah, I don't know why they made that choice at all. Um, you know, uh, and it's it makes it stand out that this is he's making a farcical portrayal of it. That it's it's just insensitive. I don't. I'm sure it was bad at the time, and I think that again it got overshadowed by the the Benefer nonsense because like this is the worst part of the movie. It is the worst part of the movie. Yeah, it's. It it wasn't okay at the time. It's bad. It only ages worse. It's, you know, it's offensive. It's a terrible choice. It never should have happened. And, and yeah, there have been sensitive portrayals of people with special needs on camera by people that don't have those special needs. Sure. <sighs> like, <sighs> why not just make him... Uh, just a little bit naive and shy and just do that. Or just make him normal. A, make him a loser. Like you don't even well, have that's to... what I'm saying. Make him a loser, not make him. Yeah, I'm saying I'm not saying that being naive and shy is a special need situation. I'm yeah. saying make him just kind of like a bit of a loser, a bit of a dork. Yeah, just make him a guy it. that doesn't have a lot going on in his life that doesn't even care that he's being kidnapped. Because I think as much as I could tell what they were going for, what they seem to be going for is like this guy doesn't really mind that he's being kidnapped. That seemed to be right. the point, you know, like he never felt in danger. So like, I don't and know, then like the read to me, Geely or read to me, Larry could have been played for laughs instead of it just seeming kind of like offensive and sad. Yeah, like. Or just maybe he just wants someone to talk to. I don't know. I'm not. Fuck it. But I'm you not, yeah, I'm you not, could have not changed a line of dialogue. And just characterized him as sort of like a, a bit of a awkward loner. And I think it would have saved the movie a lot of grief that it definitely should have gotten. Yeah, it would have aged better for sure. I also am not really interested in fixing Geely. <laughs> no, here's the baffling thing. So Geely famously swept the Razzies. Yes. Justin Bartha unnominated. Yeah, because again, I think that speaks to uh, the sort of outside things. No, Bartha should have won a Razzie. It, it's it. I love Justin Bartha. I, I I don't think less of you. I I still want to see you in movies. Um, but man, this was bad. But I I will say, I hope you feel. I, I hope you regret this one, <laughs> Justin yes. Bartha. Yes, I I, I seconded. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so then the other things with this character of Paul, he's because, again, is someone I don't know. Rain Man was on in another room when they were writing the script, I guess. But they their neighbor, <laughs> the guy in the apartment next door rented Rain Man and the screenwriter didn't want to pay to also so just, rent it. He just put a cup to the, so he just to put the a wall. Cup. But what he got like Rain Man was obsessed with Judge Wapner. So this character is obsessed with Baywatch. Uh, and. And he's obsessed with Baywatch because it makes his penis sneeze. Yes. And also he likes hip hop because. Yes. Because if there's one thing that was true in the 90s and early 2000s, it's that it's hilarious for white characters to be into hip hop. I will say as someone who really loves 90s rap music, um, 
that was almost endearing when he would start rapping. Almost. Yeah. Again, like when he starts doing I Need Love by LL Cool J, like that brought a little smile to my face. Again, I think it's a case of if he had just been a like sort of loner that didn't have friends, it probably would have played better. Right. Yes. But, but again, we're not we're not punching up Gili right now. Um, no. Uh, punching up Gili was actually the sequel, which is just Ben Affleck getting his ass kicked for 90 minutes. <laughs> uh, by Jennifer Lopez. It, it, by Jennifer Lopez. And um, and it actually, uh, that has a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes to yeah, this movie did, six. It did better. Yeah. Uh, also directed by Martin Brest. That's actually not true, because this is what I want to, <laughs> I want to say this, because... One thing that we've talked about, so Martin Brest, again, so I mentioned he directed Sin of a Woman. He also directed a movie that I really love that's one of, like, a great, if you've never seen it, also available on streaming platforms, is Midnight Run. Oh, that movie is great. It's a great movie. Same director. Uh, but he directed Geely, and he was never heard from again. <laughs> like By choice. He's like, nope, I'm out. He exiled himself like and this has come up before when we did uh, we talked about Sean Connery's last movie that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That movie was so bad that Sean Connery was like, I don't Tapped want out. to do it anymore. I'm done. And thank you for Sean Connery for coming back from the dead. It's, it's a star studded episode. Everyone wanted it to is. come in on the Geely episode. It's we have exciting. random cameo celebrity cameos, much like Geely had random celebrity cameos. Uh, but yeah, so much like that Martin Brest. Did this movie, it flopped, and dude was just like, well, that's it. I'm out. And he never, we never heard from him again. Yeah. Um, so, Justin Bartha gives a terrible performance in this movie. It's real bad. Uh, it is, I would say, the worst. A close second is Lenny Venito as Lewis. Yeah, not good either. I mean, no one's um, good. Let's be clear on something. No one's good in this movie. Fair. I'd say I'll, the I'll, best performance, if I had to be asked, is Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I was actually going to save that for the silver lining, so I think that's yeah. one of the things that gets close. But her character might be the dumbest. On the page, her character is one of the worst. I think she, I think she does the most with the least in this movie. Yeah, which I think... You know, I mean, you teed up something else, but I do think we should talk a little bit about her character before we pivot to. Oh, no. We're, yeah, we got we got a little more time because I think the silver lining section is going to be short. Yes. Uh, so Lenny Venito is a walking, talking Italian stereotype. Um, that's what he plays. He has he's had a, a pretty long career doing this part, but like. He's terrible, like. Like, whenever he doesn't have something to look at, like, it looks like his eyes just stop functioning and stay open like a like a a robot that's turned off. I like to assume that was him dissociating and realizing that he was in the movie Geely. It might be because he it does look like he's dissociating. It's yeah. like distracted. Like when he's like because most of the scenes he's on the phone with uh, Ben Affleck's character with, with uh, Geely. And when he's not talking on the phone, he's just like in this fugue state staring off into the middle distance. And it is distractingly noticeable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where um, it's Topher Grace, right? Who does all the edits. I don't know where he is on the previous edits that we've asked. But Topher, if you've caught up on those and you're listening. If and you we know just, you are. 
If you can just take Geely and all of those scenes when he's just staring at nothing, just add the hello darkness, my old, my fr- old friend. Just that. And if you can maybe zoom in on his eyes a little bit, like just put, just put in the sound of silence whenever he's just staring off. It, uh, it, it's it's to the point that like when he gets because that's the other big scene of violence is that uh, Al Pacino and his cameo shoots him in the head. Let's talk about that scene because I want to try to because as much as he, so again as we've said from what we understand this mid tier guy tells Geely you got to kidnap the brother of the prosecutor to save Starkman our boss. Well, then Stark and also and cut off the guy's finger and we're going to mail it to the prosecutor. So then Starkman gets in a room with everybody. He's like, like, we're all going to sit down and have a talk. He he shoots Lewis, um, kills him for screwing up so bad. And then he but what I I didn't understand because this is what I I was confused about. Maybe you understood it. It seemed like he was against all of it. That he didn't want them to have kidnapped the brother. Yes. And that's why he killed Lewis. But also, simultaneously, he's mad that they gave a fake finger instead of cutting off the actual finger. So, oh, I think I. Yeah. So I, here's what I think. Starkman is a if you're going to do it, do it right. OK. So I, I think that's where he's coming from. That seemed to be when he's when he's saying it's like. When he's going through his whole thing, um, because yeah, this was uh, Lewis's, you know, taking initiative by saying, "Oh well, I'll I'll do my my boss a solid. I'll kidnap the brother. We'll do all that." And um, it was the wrong choice, uh, which necessitates him getting shot in the head. Um, and then he says, "It's like, yeah, but you know, if you're gonna kidnap somebody and send a finger, you got to send the real finger because." especially someone that works for the state's attorneys, they're going to know who that's not his finger. If you're going to kidnap the brother, if you're going to kidnap the brother, you got to cut his real finger. Let me tell you, got to cut off the real one. If I was the man I was five years ago, I'd cut all the fingers off of this place. Hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. Uh, thank you, Al Pacino, for popping in uh, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's an open door this week, but it's it's just rotating. They're just, just rotating through. Uh, they're just yeah, popping in to to say what's that? Say William what's Shatner. You want to talk about the movie? <laughs> Former President Barack Obama. Uh, now Geely. It's a really bad movie. Almost made me second think about my political career. What ghost of Jimmy Stewart? You're here. <laughs> oh, Mary, I heard Mary. on the moon, so I didn't have to it watch was a the movie. movie. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna throw a lasso around it, bring it down, so no one else can see it. Oh, Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> oh yeah, this movie. Let me tell you something, brother. It's uh, not the cream of the crop. <laughs> Dig it. Uh. <laughs> You've only adopted the bad movie. Bane? Tom Hardy is Bane? <laughs> I didn't see a good Julie till I was a man. 
Yeah. Uh, just thank you so much for all of our guests. Our budget is we blew the whole budget up for the month on this one. Yeah, um, much like this movie, it just this podcast <laughs> just takes place in our apartments, and yet like we have gone millions of dollars over budget. Over budget, week. just paying cast, just yeah. cast fees. Um <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about Jennifer Lopez and then we could probably pivot unless you have anything else. Um ba ba ba. Nope. Okay. I'm just going to say everything that we know about Jennifer Lopez's character. Okay. Doesn't want people to know her first name. L- lesbian in a bad relationship. Uh, cinephile. She, yes. she yeah. Very big fan of Asian culture. B- big fan of Asian culture. Uh, workout enthusiast. I would say maybe the yoga factors into it's not just like East Asia, it's South Asia. She's just, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, she likes to stretch. Good heart. And you also shouldn't be fooled by the rocks that she got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's still Jenny from the block. Uh, but yeah, so she's, those are all the things. Like, she's not a, like, it's just, she's a weird, like, her character doesn't, I don't understand how she, like, how does she know Lewis? Like, how is she tied into this world? Where did she come from? What does her girlfriend think that she does? Why is she interested in all of this? Like, you know, all the Asian culture stuff, because it's very heavily leaned into in the beginning of the movie. And then like to the point that you would think that the resolution of this film is going to involve her knowledge of like Sun Tzu and martial arts and all of and like Tignat Han and all of that, but no, no, those are just things that we discover about her in the beginning, and then they're all just dropped. You know, it, it's and and again, like I said, it's a weird like mishmash because again, you know, yoga, martial arts, okay, Sun Tzu, I guess that makes sense with uh her, you know, sort of just overall like you're you're reading the art of war you know you're trying to be good at strategy and all that but then you're also Thich Nhat Hanh, it's a like the book that she's reading that's buddhist philosophy <laughs> right it doesn't make a ton of sense um but and i think this gets into some of the silver linings i think there is one more thing that we have to talk about before we pivot uh is that like she Again, I think she does the most with the least in this movie. Yeah. No, she's very charming in this movie. Are we have we pivoted? Is this No, we, okay. because we can't not talk about the fact that this is the second time that Ben Affleck plays a straight male character that seduces a lesbian into a, a, a heterosexual relationship. Yeah, weirdly this movie <laughs> is is two Kevin Jason films adjacent because both Kevin Kevin Smith did Jersey Girl and uh, Chasing Amy is this like you know guy who's in love with a lesbian movie. So if you marry those two, yeah, this <laughs> Kevin is some Smith weird movies. world. Um, and I like Ben Affleck a lot. Um, he wasn't great in this. No, yeah, he. It seems like a role. I mean, weirdly, it's a role that if Kevin Smith wrote it, it would work. Because, like, I I thought like the opening scene kind of tapped into something like cocky, 
again, cocky. I wasn't with a hooker today, Ben Affleck from like Jay and right. Silent Bob, when he's like he's putting a guy in a washing machine. I actually liked the opening scene. I'll say that, like I the too, monologue yeah. where he's taught. That was one of the ones I had written down that all got thrown out for turkey time. But uh, you know, when he's like saying you don't know how a day is going to turn out, you didn't know you're going to end up in a washing machine. Like I enjoyed all of that. I liked it, but then it's immediately all of that's dropped and he's a marshmallow. Right. And there's no change. Um, that's the thing. There's no arc to the character. There's not, he doesn't have anything no. he wants. Like, cause that's the thing is like Ben Affleck is not great in this movie, but in his defense, I don't think he's, what is he supposed to play? What is the character of Geely? I, I will, I will accept that defense. We don't know why Geely does the work that he does. We don't know what he wants. Like, but yeah, we don't know why Geely's Geelying. He doesn't seem to have any goals or aspirations. He doesn't seem to have any emotional reaction to the work he does. He just, for whatever reason, meets Paul and decides, I don't want to hurt Paul. But we don't know. He, he didn't mind hurting the guy in the beginning in the washing machine. Right. So. And it, it, it hints at it seems like there was maybe the intent of the arc that he was second guessing this mob tough life. But that's not earned. No. Yeah. It's sort of tacked on. Uh, but yeah, this is a terrible movie. Please don't watch it. Just listen to this podcast. We had all the cast show up that we could get. Yeah, we we tried to get Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, but but they're they're busy in love, which gets us to our silver linings. I mean, come on, guys, who doesn't want Ben Lowe back together? again? Yeah, <laughs> Jenjamin Lowfleck. We're all excited. No, seriously, they're they're an adorable couple. I will say this. I feel like, and maybe I'm projecting this, I felt like I could see them fall in love with each other I, over the span of this film. I would say, like, we could also malign how bad the score was during the sex scene yep. and how bad the sex scene was in general. But there was some, like, general, genuine chemistry there. Yeah, which, like I said, it did. There wasn't like super. When they first meet, it wasn't like it wasn't like watching Mr. and Mrs. Smith, where you're like, oh, wow, these two. But like, they're they're definitely fucking. But like, yeah, or like the first scenes, you're like, eh, okay. But then, like, yeah, that scene, like, once they start to show interest in each other, the characters, like, you really are like, I can see that you both really like it. Like, you, there's genuine chemistry in these scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I like that. Look, I hope they're both happy. I hope they're. I, I do, too. I hope they have no idea. And I'm sure they don't that this podcast is out there, that they're not thinking about G Lee, that they are just living their lives together, getting some Dunkin Donuts as that their walk... relationship is rising like a phoenix from the ashes. Yeah, I hope they're walking around the Bronx with their Dunkin Donuts. Um, you know, taking the six train, just being crazy in love. Yeah, Wait, that's Beyonce. Never mind. <laughs> Yeah. They're just waiting for tonight. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, they're waiting for tonight. Um Yep. So um and and she she's good. I think that she actually is good in this movie. I th I think she like I've said she does the most of the least. Um mm -hmm. I thought the scene where she's intimidating the high school kids that are played by 40-year-olds is really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, we we did feature that clip in the beginning. I, the sincere laugh that I got from Ben Affleck snapping a laptop over his knee and saying suckmydick.com is sincere. <laughs> Look, I'm gold. That's that's brilliant. That's the best writing in the whole movie. But no, when she's explaining that she can gouge their eyes out and stick her fingers in their eye sockets and just being 
both terrifying and charming at the same time to scare a group of dudes who are like, yeah, I'm not going to mess with her at all. That was a good scene. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, there are good scenes in this movie. It's the connective tissue is non-existent. Um, I again, I said it. I also found it endearing when Justin Bartha rapped. I need love. Like that made me happy. Uh, some of the other just uh, old school rap songs that showed up in the soundtrack that brought a smile to my face. Um, but yeah, no, JLo, I thought JLo was, I like her more often than I don't as an, as an actor. I She's very say. charming. Yeah. No, she really is. Um, um, cause like out of sight is one of my favorite movies. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, and she, and Jennifer Lopez is a big reason why that's such a good movie. Like she's great in it. Yeah. By the way, did you see too, uh, just, this is sort of an interesting side note to this movie. Apparently the original person that was considered for this was Holly Berry. But she was not able to do it because she was filming, I think, X2, but it was one of the X2. X2. Yeah, yeah, it was it was X2. I did see that. Yeah. Um, and I think that they made the right choice because I Holly Berry is gorgeous. I'm not a huge fan of her as an actress. I like Holly Berry, but yeah, I I think that Jennifer Lopez probably did better in this than I mean it worked out better for everyone because I like Holly Berry in X2. So There you go. Yeah. I and, think everyone everyone made the right Okay, no. Nobody that made Julie made the right choice. Yeah. But Holly <laughs> Berry, Holly Berry for sure made the right choice. Also by doing X2 instead of this. And also she got to do X2 where a monster didn't write a terrible line about toads and electricity. So No, that was X1. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um no, this uh Yeah, I think there is like I said, this movie is not without actual silver linings. I think JLo does a good job with absolutely nothing on the page to make her do a good job. Um, I think that the chemistry, I think you can, you, it feels real between JLo and, and Ben. Um, but at the same time, like Bartha is offensive in his performance. The, the story goes nowhere and does nothing. Yeah, I also love that they kept mentioning Baywatch, but couldn't actually get Baywatch licensed. So he just ends up on like a teen beach comedy at the end. Yeah, uh, that I thought that was weird. I actually, I have, I do have a Ben Affleck silver lining about this mm. film. So I, I interestingly, like when I was prepping for this, I saw an interview uh, where it was actually Matt Damon was asking him questions. And he asked him about Geely. And uh, the thing to note about this is, and also we'll say... <laughs> Uh, across the board, Ben Affleck very much aware that all that this movie did not age well. He acknowledges all of that, like you know that it's ableist, that it's sexist, like all all of the things that are not good about it. Uh, but the thing that he said was because this movie was such a failure, and because he was sort of becoming more of a celebrity than an actor, and the celebrity wasn't like sort of impeding the acting. This film failing is what convinced him to start directing because he thought I need to choose my projects. I need to be in control of them. So I, and Ben Affleck is a great director and he's a great, great director, director. Of, of himself. And the fact that like we got the town and Argo and like all of the stuff that he did. When after was it? This. She wasn't there. Is that the first one? Is that what it's called? Well, there's, is it Gone Baby Gone? Oh, it is Gone Baby Gone. And that yeah. movie's great. That's great, too. No, he he's a really great director. So the fact that, like, this movie needed to fail so that he could 
realized that he needed to direct. I mean, you know, like that's that is a silver lining that Ben Affleck directs stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say another thing sort of related to that is um, a lot of the really bad movies that exist and that we've talked about were also miserable experiences on set. Does not seem to be the case here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And it's funny, too, because in that same interview, Ben Affleck admitted that that part of the reason that he wanted to do this movie was because he was like, oh, Martin Brest is making a film. Like, I want to make a movie with that guy, the guy who did Midnight Run and and Son of a Woman, and Son and of a Woman. Like, yeah, I do. I, yeah, I'm interested. So, like, yeah, it sounds like that. He, it sounds like. Like this movie isn't badly directed. It's Martin Brest did write the script and I have some qualms there, but it's badly like, written. It sure. is badly written. Yeah. Um, but like, it did sound like people did not hate being on this movie. Yeah. Which is explains why so many people just showed up and got filmed for walking on the set. Yeah. Apparently whatever backlot they had Geely's apartment on was next door to a mafia movie <laughs> with right. Christopher Walken and Al Pacino. So they were just stopping by when they had downtime to collect a quick paycheck. Yeah. Um, that's actually a lot. That's why we've been able to get everyone this week is we actually record this podcast on a back lot of Warner Brothers. So, right. We're just right next to all the trailers. <laughs> like, yeah. And they, we just as they we just hang a mic out the window and it just hopefully the content hits. Yeah. It's right next to craft services. So they stop by, get a little bite to eat. And then if they, they just get a wanna, bagel, yeah, you know, yeah, get a little nosh, you know, they're hungry. <laughs> like, yeah, just pop on real quick. So it's nice. Yeah. Um. More Ben Affleck rom-coms to come. Yeah, and actually, how about this? I I have one, I have a, what I feel like is the right way to go out. So I mentioned the fact that the book that Jennifer Lopez's character is reading by Thich Nhat Hanh, he was a really lovely person who actually just passed away last month. As we're recording this, yeah. Yeah, so he, he passed away recently. Uh, he's just absolutely lovely. I have actually listened to his meditations in the times that I've tried to meditate, which is infrequently, but, but when I can, both times, yeah, the two times that I tried to meditate, I actually did listen to him. I, I really, he's a very lovely person, uh, and, uh, was really great. So I think to cleanse us all from having seen Geely to cleanse us all from Paul's, you know, the performance by Justin Bartha, all of it, maybe just close your eyes, focus on your breathing and listen to this to play us out. Everything wonderful, everything uh, refreshing. You want to get in touch. They are in the present moment. Therefore, running to the future or getting lost in the past. You miss life. And therefore, breathing in and out is to get back to the present moment where you have an appointment with life. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Eight. 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 Potato Salad Marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.